Pharisee, I preach the gospel I follow the apostles, you follow Pentecostals You're not reformed, so that's a risk I believe the five points like an asterisk I repent, but you're in sin still I spit rhymes and Fernando does a windmill Here we go, and welcome to another episode of Solar Cast Your boy, Pastor Chris Hernandez And my man, Jimmy De Los Santos How you doing, Pastor Chris? Pastor Henry Knox Hey, what's up, Pastor Chris? What's going on, good people? Hey, not much, guys. How's it going, man? What's going on with you guys? I was just thinking about how Pastor Henry always, you know, he, he gets me with that uh, good people. You know, he, he says hi to the people. I never say <laughs> hi to the people. I feel like I should be saying hi to the people now. You know? <laughs> A lot I of times, you, you know where I thought you were going to go with that, brother. I thought you were going to say, "How do you know they're good people?" Do they <laughs> themselves? That's where I thought he was going. That's where do I they consider going. themselves a good person? <laughs> oh man, you know what? I should say that. Hey, Pastor Pastor Henry, which good people are you talking to? <laughs> I like, is that the SolarCast audience? SolarCast <laughs> right. audience, are y'all good people? No. <laughs> let's, let's talk about that, right? Do they consider themselves good good people? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's a good question to ask, right? <laughs> you know, it's funny because when I'm out evangelizing, if people don't know if you're listening to SolarCast and you don't know that I use the way of the master uh, kind of methodology as a way to bring about a knowledge of sin before I present the gospel to somebody, that's what I use, right? So it's just the questions, do you consider yourself to be a good person? And then I ask a few of the commandments. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever looked with lust? And, uh, you know, people say yes to all those things. I can then say, you just admitted you're a lion, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer at heart. And they're like, what? You've broken the commandments and you need Christ. But here's the thing about that. When I ask that question, sometimes on the streets, as I'm trying to hand out tracks and talking to people, somebody might come by and and they'll, they'll put their hand out to me like, that's okay. I'm good. (laughs) <laughs> and I just want to say, can I ask you more about that that little statement? But they they, they, they don't they don't they don't want to they don't want to you know engage in the conversation. I get it, but you know it is kind of funny to me that they would use that that verbiage. You know, I've actually seen you know those after Eden cartoons that come up, and uh, I don't know if it comes up in your Facebook feed. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I've seen one where a guy walked by Jesus on the cross and held up his hand out and said, "That's okay." I'm good. Right. <laughs> and I'm sitting there. Wow. wow. You know, it, it, that was uh, effective for me anyway. But anyway, so much yeah. about, about that little, what's up, good people. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to stay safe, man. You know, my, uh, you know, we had this family group me and my, uh, my sister-in-law, you know, puts out a, a message and says, you know, to my parents, cause you know, they're elderly, you know, y'all need to start sheltering in place again. So I'm up here sitting thinking, Oh man, are we really going to go back to this? You know, are we really going to have to go back to everybody? Just sheltering in place and all the businesses closed and everything like that because here in Texas anyway they they've been talking about how they the numbers have been spiking and everything like that so man I'm just I'm just dreading that man I hope they don't they don't start closing yeah. things again I mean I understand safety concerns but that that wasn't a good time I'm sorry what are your thoughts Pastor Chris on why they're spiking well I mean we're, they're testing more the other day I, dr- I drove by a, a CVS man and the line was like all the way out the street I I didn't I didn't see that the first time around I didn't I didn't drive by you know these uh, stores and see people in line and these huge lines of people getting tested. So obviously, if people are testing more, you're going to see more cases. What I heard was half a million tests a day in in America. Mm-hmm. Half a million tests a day is going to bring me more results. And we weren't testing half a million people two months ago. Absolutely. Right? So yeah. of course you're going to see bigger results. And you got a lot of you got a lot of places in Texas now that are. I mean, there's you can go on the internet and go look at coronavirus testing, and they're doing it for free. Yeah. Yeah. For free. You can go uh, several places here in Grand Prairie where I live 
and get tested. Yeah, yeah, I got tested. Um, you know, I got tested before my surgery, and uh, and let me tell you that you know, uh, <laughs> let me tell you, that's not that's not nothing you want, man. That's they nothing a, you want. Stick a thing up your nose. Yeah, man, it was ridiculous, and it's not even a regular Q-tip. Like it's like some weird, uh, not prickly, but it's like some weird cotton prickly thing or what I, I have no idea all it I looks is, it looks like coronavirus yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's it, it's crazy man but but yeah it's it's to pass Chris's point like of course you're going to have more cases that are confirmed because you have asymptomatic people and symptomatic people all going to go get tested now right another, another thing that plays role in that too is that most of the elective surgeries just like mine all those things are actually being sort of sort of released. So people are going back to the hospital for physicals. People are going back to the hospitals for elective surgeries. And, you know, the more people that are there, they are, you know, rightly and smartly testing people as they come into the hospital, like they're supposed to be doing. And so, uh, you know, naturally, you're going to get more and more and more cases. But when you break down the asymptomatic individuals versus the symptomatic individuals, it's far and above more people are just asymptomatic, which are getting tested. And to the secondary point is, is that, you know, I think that the media does a lot of fear mongering. It's like, you know, 19,000 cases. I'm like, like, you know, we're due to the riots or whatever. Like, I thought the virus has a 14-day incubation period. Like, I know that all those people out there rioting didn't go get COVID tests. Like, come on. Right, like, really? Right, like, right. you know, but people are, are also associating cases with deaths. Like, just because there are 19,000 cases does not mean there are 19,000 deaths or even close to that to that much, right? If right. you're under the age of 665, according to the current death toll that we have, it's like 0.09% chance of dying from COVID. Right. You know, and I think it's like, I think it, I think it raises a bit uh, more than that if you go above 665. But, you know, it, I, I think I think that, that people are are sort of blowing this thing way out of proportion. Still right, be cautious, not, still be safe. But, you know. Yeah, we're not seeing the death rates rise with the number of uh, confirmed cases. They're actually lowering. With They're the actually lowering. Yeah. 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 So there's, yeah, you're right, Pastor. Yeah. You know, we, we're not saying, you know, be hard. We said this before in the show, we're not saying be <laughs> reckless, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we, we got to use wisdom and I just don't want to see things. I think Jimmy, you mentioned the other day, I just don't want to go back to online services. You know, I don't want, we don't want to do that again. You know? <laughs> Pastor Chris, have you visited your parents? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the kind of thing that gets me, right? Because I told you before, and I've said it on the podcast, my mom actually told me, you know, hey, with all this thing that they're trying to keep you from, I, hey, Jimmy, if you come visit me, I won't tell nobody, right? <laughs> like, like, come visit yeah. me, right? Like, yeah. she she wants to see her kids. And yeah. I'm, I, I'm sitting here trying to balance, you know, how everybody perceives me going to visit my mom and the fact that she wants me to visit her. I kind of I kind of lean over to, to to my mom's side and say I want to be with my mom, right? right? Like you know I want to I want to have a cup of coffee with her, yeah, right, yeah. And so you know I'm that's just me, right? I don't want to go backwards, and I, I honestly I don't think that we should have gone forward, yeah. Right? Like yeah. that the quarantine should have been sick people, right? Right, like you yeah. you get them people in in quarantine, and don't put the whole world in quarantine, and yeah. uh, I don't know um, isolated to the ones that are sick and and then. I don't know. I'm, I'm, let's just get off the subject. Cause I'm getting- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's go to a happier place with, uh, right. well, I don't know if this is going to be happy. Gonna be a happier gonna, place. Yeah. 
<laughs> What's the subject for the day? What's the subject for the day? Yeah. So we're going to talk about, we did an episode like this before. We wanted to, you know, we said we we're going to periodically come back to it. So now's the time. Yeah, we did an episode like this before. So we talked about some commonly uh, misapplied uh, verses or out of context uh, verses that people use. And we, we threw out some. So we're going to do the same thing today. We, we, we have some more that we want to bring to the episode. We want to share some verses that people usually uh, misapply or read out of context or even uh, preachers preach out of context. So we wanted to uh, bring those. And again, like we did last time, we, we all have a verse that we picked that we're going to share that we're going to discuss and read through or play a clip from uh, and, uh, you know, just kind of discuss and show how people are taking this text out of context. So who wants to go first, guys? Actually, Chris, I think we're going to start with you. I'm going to go with me. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let me get this set up here because I'm going to, I'm actually going to, uh, to play a clip of this text and here we go. I'm going to jump right in. I don't know where, where this guy's starting. So um, I think I'm pretty close, but I'm going to jump right <laughs> into it. This is uh, Bill Johnson, famous charismatic pastor from Bethel church, Bethel church also, you know, famous for putting out music, Bethel music and Jesus culture and so forth. So here's pastor Bill Johnson talking about the text that I wanted to, or just mentioning, I guess the text that I wanted to bring. You know, I constantly hear believers pray, ask God to bind the devil. Last time, I read, he said, you do it. You know, how long do we keep our jobs if we keep asking our boss to do what he told us to do? You know, we have specific assignments of the Lord. He gave us the authority to do. And quite honestly, some things are not done in the earth that we've written off as the will of God, and they're simply not done because we've not done our part. That's not intended to bring shame. It's to light a fire, saying, we need to survey what is it the commission of the Lord has given us to do. I'll go ahead and stop it there. You guys get the gist of it or what he's talking about. So he's he's talking about, you know, binding and loosing. It's a, it's a famous text. I'll go ahead and, and share it here. Matthew 16, 19. Many of you guys have, have heard it. It's, it's yeah. preached about all the time. Uh, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, it's, it's talked about also in Matthew chapter 18, 18, just a couple of chapters after that. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So let me go ahead and, and tell you the way most people misapply this text. And then I'll go ahead and, and tell you what the context of this text really is. So most people, again, just like you heard there from Bill Johnson, believe that this is somehow a text that, that shows we have authority to, to bind and loose whatever we want here on earth. As a believer, that we have some type of authority to bind and loose. What bind and loosing means has always confused me, even since I was a kid. And hearing this this text, I was like, I never really understood. You know, what are we binding actually, and what are we what are we actually loosing? But you know, <laughs> it, it's very confusing, and a lot of a lot of uh, preachers kind of use it in different ways. But but from the gist of it, it's just it's really binding the devil, right? A lot of people talk about binding the devil, binding the strong man. You know, they kind of get those verses kind of connected there. Uh, so you know, you whatever, if you bind the devil in a certain area, so if uh, let's say sickness, right? So let's say you're coming down, we'll use something contemporary like the coronavirus, right? So let's say you, you're coming down with the with the virus. You as a believer have the authority to bind that virus. And if you bind it here on earth, then it's going to be bound in heaven. That God is going to, you know, do whatever you say because he has given you this, this authority to bind it. So you can say to the sickness, I bind you. You're not going to attack me. You're going to stay where you're at. You're going to be chained to uh wherever i guess in the in the in the spiritual realm you're not going to attack me uh physically or 
let's turn it the other way. You also have the authority to lose. So uh, I guess a common one, especially in prosperity circles is, is finances, right? So you have the authority to loosen your finances. And the reason why you're not prospering is because you're not you're walking in that authority that God has already given you. He's already given you this authority to bind and lose, but you're not doing it. So what you need to do is you need to align your faith with the authority that you have to loose. And you need to speak into your finances and loose them so that you will be able to prosper and you'll be able to have more money. So that's typically the way, I don't know, you guys want, might want to share too uh, how you've heard people uh, misapply this text. But again, uh, the gist of it is that you have some type of authority to to bind and loose whatever you want. I think I, I remember seeing a, a movie, War Room, I guess, or whatever. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just keep going back to, uh, you know, that part where she's kind of like yelling at the devil and stuff like that and outside of her home. And, you know, I don't even know if she uses buying or loosing, but that just that type of attitude where you just you have this type of authority where you're commanding the devil or you're commanding finances and so forth. And you just kind of yell and scream at them. So, yeah, that that's typically the way it's applied. So how, how is this text? What, what is the purpose of this text? What, how do we are we supposed to read this text in its context? Well, if we look at even in both places, Matthew 16 and, and Matthew 18, it's not talking about some type of authority that you have as an individual Christian to to bind and loose whatever you want. In its context, it's talking about the authority that God has given the church. I mean, actually, if you look at the, the text I just read, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The, the kings of the kingdom of heaven are not necessarily given to individuals. They're given to the church. So the church has the keys of the kingdom to bind and loose things here on earth. Now, what type of things? Well, I think Matthew uh, chapter 18 gives us, when we read the, the whole text, it gives us a little bit more of the context of what we're actually supposed to be binding and loosing. And, you know, just let me start at uh, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am among them. I think those last two verses we could have used for a different one because I think people also uh, you can take that one. Out of <laughs> but uh, they're all to, it's all together. So it's talking about here the authority of the church to what to bind and loose, right? So to bind and loose in the sense of spiritual discipline. So the church has the authority to recognize the person as a a believer as one who belongs to the church or to recognize them as a Gentile or a tax collector, pretty much in context here is to recognize them as an unbeliever. God has given this authority to the church. And this is why, you know, we look at other places, first Corinthians chapter five, where uh, Paul is talking to the church to remove that sinful person from among them. There's plenty of places we can see in the text where the church has been given the authority to practice this discipline and recognize who is a believer and who is not a believer. This is why it's important to have, you know, a strong ecclesiology, right? We, we nowadays in, in churches everything's loosey goosey. Everybody's a member of your attend. If you're not, nobody has any type of accountability. But right. if we look at the text and we we follow the text the way it's supposed to be followed, then we do understand that this is a high calling that the church has been given to recognize who is a believer and who is not a believer. Even when you read this text. 
in the original language, it uses this phrase, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what's called a future perfect passive tense. So the Greek has tenses just like the English does. We have tenses on the way we structure our sentences. It's done in this way or that way. And even the way it's read, if you read it in the, in the tense that it's supposed to be written in or read in, in the original language, you will see that the better way to actually read this is to read it as whatever you bind on earth has already been bound in heaven. So it's it's already been done in heaven. So God has already given you this authority. This authority has already been granted to the church. So whatever you're doing already has the approval of God. So church, whichever way you act, in whichever way you act in, in, in the matters of church discipline, you've already have the authority given to you because I've already given you that authority. So whatever you bind on earth, just consider it already done in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, consider it already done because I've given you and I've established my authority from the onset and I've given it and passed it on to the church. So that's a better actually way to read uh, this context. Whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven will have. It's already been done. So that's the better way to read it. But again, we take that verse out of context. We use it however we want to use it. But I think in its context, when we read the whole chapter, when we read the original language in its tense, we will see that it has nothing to do with loosing your finances or binding the devil. Yeah, I agree with you, Pastor Chris. It has a lot a lot more to do with uh, church discipline and having the uh, church, what decisions they make uh, is something that God recognizes. Right. right. And and then and gives authority to so and gives credence to I, I, I would just say that when I hear people, you know, use it a lot of times uh, it, it's in a context. Uh, again, we come from a charismatic background. Right. And a lot of times that's where we hear it. Devil, I bind you. And then you know, it's just like, you know, <laughs> and I always laugh when I hear it because I, I don't mean to laugh like that. It's just it's serious. But Vody Bachum comes to mind when he, right. whenever he says, you know, if you, if you bound the devil last week, who let him loose this week, man? Like, <laughs> why does he keep getting out if you bound him? Because, you know, one of the things that you just mentioned, and I think that is of note, is that it's already done. Right. right? Like in heaven, it's already done. So if you're taking that verse and saying, you know, I'm going to bind the devil, well, that's already done then in heaven, but it's not because he's still doing stuff, right? Right. So, I mean, the taking that out of context and really people don't read their Bibles to really understand what that means. They don't study it. They just take it and whatever preacher's up there, just because he has a, a pulpit doesn't mean he should have a pulpit, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and, and so that whenever somebody uses that from the pulpit, I think that's, that's you know, egregious. I mean, I just taking it out of context. That's why we do this, this type of episode. It's so it, that works, we, it works well with that whole dominion type of uh, yeah, you know, theology. Absolutely. This is a, a strong verse for them. Yeah, yeah and I think that it, it, it also is, it kind of spawns from the thought process of, is that God has given me authority, right? right. You know, God has given me authority. Same way the Catholic Church, you know, rests upon Peter because Peter was given you know, right. authority and given all these things or whatever, like God gives us dominion over fish of the sea over the fowl of the air and things like that. It, you know, but, but when it comes to spiritual matters of telling the devil what to do and what not to do, we don't have that authority. But I think that, that there is this idea that we need to have power or, or it, it makes people feel comfortable that they have the power to do something, but in actuality, they really don't. But I think that's, that's where that mostly come, comes from, is this idea or this seek for power. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, let me just read one, just going to what you're saying, uh, Pastor Henry there, Jude 1.9. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yeah, right? amen. So, 
Yeah, so we, we always like to take this authority upon ourselves. I rebuke you, but you, like this text says, not even the angels did that. They said the Lord, the Lord has the, the power here, but that authority is invested in the church. It is invested when we are acknowledged by the church as true saints of God. It's not invested in us as, as autonomous believers, as rogue believers who can go about, you know, making our theology up as it goes along. God has order and is, he has placed order. He has established order. We need to, we need to be obedient, you know, yeah. follow that. And, and not only is that also true, but also if we would take this verse at its value and use it in the proper context, we probably wouldn't have all this wild theology and people binding and loosing and everything. Cause this verse is actually telling you what to do. Like, you know, it's given the church authority, of course, the universal church, but also the local body that right. makes up the universal church. We have the authority to loose and bind people who are in membership of the actual church. Right. We have the authority to, to view people's actions and their behavior to see what type of fruit they're bearing. We have that authority. And so I think that if we really, you know, obey the scripture in its proper context, all this stuff will be sort of sort of alleviated in and of itself. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of the bad theology that we're seeing is a lack of practice in this text. Yeah, absolutely. 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 All right. Who's next? Who wants to drop their uh, verse? I'll go ahead and go. Um, I mean, and I think this verse closely relates to the, is in relationship to what you were talking about, Pastor Chris, but because word of faith preachers will use this verse a lot. Actually, they won't even read the whole verse. They'll just read the last portion of this verse and make it make it a kind of a standard. But let me let me read the entire verse and then just talk about the, the portion that is misused. Uh, this is Romans four seventeen, and I'm reading it not in normal fashion, not from the elect standard version. I'm I'm the the ESV. I'm reading <laughs> I'm I'm reading it from the King James version because I feel like the King James version is the one that's properly misused the most. And I will touch on the other versions here in a minute, but Romans 4, 17 in the King James Version says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things that which be not as though they were. Now, if you're listening to me and you, you know, not read all the way through Romans or read this verse in context, you probably heard a preacher use that last part, which is, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. And basically, they'll take it and they'll misuse it and apply it uh, in such a way that says, you can call into existence out of nothing, ex nihilo, into existence something for your benefit. Now, here, here's where I'm going to go with this. And, uh, you know, I don't have a clip. I didn't get all fancy like Pastor Chris did today. But I, I am going to read you a little bit from a a website I don't recommend. It's called KCM.org. KCM <laughs> standing for Kenneth, Co Kenneth Copeland Ministries. Uh, and, and so just the OG. You know, <laughs> the OG, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I, I, I was looking for the clip. I was going to try to be as fancy as Pastor Chris, but I couldn't sit through the whole 30 minutes of Kenneth Copeland, so I had to stop. Uh, but this is the actual text or, or actual preceding uh, article that goes before the video of Kenneth Copeland. And uh, it talks about faith, right? Uh, he, here's just a paragraph of what he, what he has. But it, it, it's up to us how far we go with the faith he has given us. The only limits on the growth of faith are there because of us, not because the Father has limited it in any way. The growth of our faith is in direct proportion to the time spent de developing it. It's not like the growth of natural things that have built-in limitations. Faith will continue to grow until it becomes however large it has to be to overcome whatever the storms of life bring against us. Now, 
I'm going to, I read that just to preface this confession to move mountains portion of his article that says uh, that gives you the, the reader a prayer that you can pray in relation to the verse that he's misusing. Here's what, here's what his confession to move mountains prayer sounds like. I do as Jesus did. I, and I speak to the mountain of blank in my life. Hmm. I command blank to be removed from my life, life, body, relationship, job, and cast it into the sea and away from me. I believe I receive it removed by faith. I have no doubt in my mind that I am free from blank. No weapons of fear, doubt, or unbelief formed against me shall prosper. I call those things that are not as though they were and hope for what I do not have, waiting patiently for it to come to pass in my life. And he gives some scriptures there. Romans 4.17 is named among them. Again, I'm going to go back to the verse. So you just heard that he is said, this is the prayer that you pray so that you can remove this mountain out of your life. And he actually used part of the verse, I call those things that are not as though they were and hope for what I do not have. And so I go back to Romans 4.17 and I read it in context. And I, I don't have to read 15, 16, 17, 18, the context is in the verse, but he's breaking off a piece of the verse to use it for his benefit. And it says this, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things that are, that which be not as though they were. Who is the one calling things into existence? God is. That is an attribute that only God has, not man. And I, you know what, and they'll pair it up with another verse, uh, you know, Word of Faith preachers will, will back this up by going to Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. And they're, they're using that verse to say, there's power in what you speak. See, this is just the same thing that right. positive life coaches will tell you, you know, just speak positive things into your life, you know, right. just don't, just don't think anything negative. Just don't say negative things, speak positive things into your life. Well, you know what? That's just not the way things work, right? If that were the case, I'd have been married many years ago. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> and, and so, you got to so, speak it, brother. You got to speak gotta, it. Gotta speak, <laughs> you got to believe it. You got to you know, claim it. Yeah, exactly. This is this is the thing that gets me because people get duped into this type of thinking as if God was, you know, your genie to give you whatever you desire, as long as you speak it in a positive manner or whatever. And I heard this being misused uh, just last year. A friend of mine, uh, we were there was a group of us talking and a friend of mine was saying that, you know, uh, you know, he was having some problems with uh, with lust issues. And another guy that heard him speaking said, Brother, I'm going to tell you, here's what you, and it's a single guy that's having these lust issues. Of course, he's addressing his lust issues with his Christian brothers, right? And so this other guy that was in the group said, hey, let me tell you, if you'll just pray for 30 days and be specific about the type of wife that you want, in 30 days, see what God will do for you. Mm. See, this is the type of thinking that preaching like this spawns. Yeah, right. And as soon as he said it, I said, brother, what are you saying? Because what happens in 30 days when this guy doesn't get his wife? Well, God isn't real. Or, you know, if it wasn't that strong a Christian I, right. that, that he was speaking to, uh, he might be preaching him out of the kingdom of God because he starts to, to believe that, well, he didn't give me what I wanted. Why should I trust in him anymore? Right. right. Uh, this is the type of problem that I see with, with that kind of theology. And I really came against that guy who's, who said those things to tell him, 
brother, we don't believe in word of faith theology. Now, a better prayer was, would, would be if that was the case. Lord, if it be your will, send me a wife, right? And, and if you want to be specific, be specific, but that's the prayer, if it be your will. And never expecting that God is, that, that you're holding something over God as, as if he's supposed to give you what you want. The, also, the thing that bothers me about, the, about this type of thinking, uh, and it goes right back to, to this idea is that it's all about you, right? This is the type of thing that gets me about uh, in our Christian walk, we need to stop thinking so much about the self. This type of theology pushes a self-centered gospel, right? Self-centered good news. Jesus is here for you. No, he does all his things for his good pleasure, not ours. And so you can't just uh, think that death and life are in the power of the tongue mean that you have the power to create things in your life. In, In fact, read the entire book of Proverbs. It talks about how you how you earn things. You earn things by going to work. And so it, it's funny. I, I will see this. Uh, I speak financial freedom over my life. Not if you don't go to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, 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 I sit there and I, I come strongly against something like this. A word of faith preachers will hone in on this particular verse, break it off just a piece of the verse and say, just speak those things into existence. And then they'll violate what James says about, Hey, what if a brother comes to you saying he needs, and then you send him off without a blanket or without food? Or what have you done? Your works didn't. See, this is the type of thing that gets, and they'll also, you know, they'll go as far as to say, by telling them that they can speak these things into existence, they've done some kind of good. But no, you haven't. You've misled that person. You've not helped him out. You left him hungry. You left him destitute. And then you misled him. You did the worst of things. Amen. And so I'm, I'm sorry. I, I get a little heated about this particular verse, and especially when I hear it used out of context. Uh, so thoughts on this verse, guys? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, yeah, I've been in charismatic circles. You see this all the time. And it's so funny that... <laughs> That this is not even a ver- like even in the King James version, right. you know, it's translated correctly, but they don't even like they know what they're doing because they don't even use the entire verse. They right. split the verse, <laughs> like, like yeah. they they literally take the last couple words of the verse and and run off and make a theology out of it. I mean, because they know that if you start at the beginning of the verse, of course, within context, you'll see it. But the even God, comma, then. If you were to question him and say, well, you know, we're at a funeral. If you have the light, the, the power of life and death in your tongue, won't you speak to that body and raise him up? Because, because the verse says, quicken it the dead and call those things that are not as though they were, right? Amen. So, so you know, it, it's <laughs> I'm not like, saying, I, by the way, I'm not saying amen to what you, I'm saying right. amen to the <laughs> Solar cancer. Hey, don't, get, don't get it wrong, brother. Raise those right. dead, brother. Raise the dead. <laughs> oh, you know, man. I, but you bring up a good point, and, and I do want to. I do want to touch on the other uh, uh, versions. I said I was going to do that. So in the King James, we see "calleth those things that which be not as though they were." In the ESV, it says "calls into existence the things that do not exist." Right. In the, in the NASB, it says "calls into being that which does not exist." And in the NET, I, which I'm not exactly with, summons the things that do not yet exist as though they already do, right? And so, so this is the, again, I go back to this mindset of the charismatic person that gets into thinking, I already called it. It's already done. You know? <laughs> he, he, here's, here's, my, here's my problem with that. 
because, and this is kind of sad when I say this, there are people that will tell me I've already, I've already claimed my kids for salvation. Yeah. Right. I've already, I've already called that into being. Oh, okay. So you don't need to evangelize. Yeah. So you need to share the gospel. Now you just called it into being and it's done, right? They're living sinful lives. Right. Yep. And you, and you say nothing. Right. You say you think that that's just going to going to be at least pray a prayer for an evangelist to come by, <laughs> you know, it's, it's something like that. But see, I, again, I guess I get a little heated when I hear that, because don't sit here and tell me you claimed your children's lives for salvation. And that's all you need to do. Right. Right. You and, need to teach your kids the way that, that things should, should go. Raise them up in the way they should go and they, and they won't depart. Or, or you know, I'm just going to say, uh, hmm. teach them, teach them about about the Lord. Right. Uh, raise them up in the admonition of the Lord. Show them who they're supposed to be in Christ. If they stray away, you've done your job. But I'm just going to say, don't don't sit here and just call it into existence. That's the danger of this type of theology, this type of teaching. And I strongly come against it. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I get a little heated right now. <laughs> no, you know, it, it's definitely them walking in arrogance, but they would say they're walking in assurance. Right. You know, because, again, it goes back to power, right? You know, that that seek and that lust for power. I have the ability to call those things that are not into existence as though they were or or though they're going to come come into being because I do this. Right. And it's like, you know, just common sense, just common sense will be able to tell you that you can't do these things because, again, (laughs) I've been to a lot of funerals. I've never seen a body get up. I've only seen Christ in the text of scripture, speak to a body and it get up and be alive again. And so, you know, we, it's a lust for power, but it's also a desire to be more than what they think that they are. But if they would just come to Christ and know that being an elect person of God is more than we could ever imagine. And that work within our heart and him converting our soul is the greatest miracle. And we don't need to speak anything into existence because that work of salvation has already been done by the only one who can do it. You know, I I, just thinking about that, Pastor Henry, what you were saying makes me think, Okay, so if I have the power, then what room does Christ have? Remember what he said in your weakness, I'm made strong. So we need to recognize that we're the weak ones. We need to rely on the one who can call things into existence. God himself. I mean, that's the point of scripture to teach you that you, you can't do these things. I am nothing without Christ. Right. And man, that's my prayer. Like every morning I get up and I say, Lord, I'm nothing without you. I need you. Right. Like, what can I do without you? This type of of teaching uh, teaches man that he is, you know, it's a self-centered theology. And so, yeah, let me just, uh, let let me just read some, (laughs) some lyrics from a song called speak by Myron Butler. I shall have what I decree. Yes, I believe it belongs to me. I shall have what I decree. Yes, I believe it belongs to me. Speak it into the atmosphere. Speak it into the atmosphere. Speak eight times. Declare eight times. It's mine. Eight times. Yes, eight times. So that's the, the theology that, that, that we're talking about, right? This name it and claim it. This speak it. Whatever you speak into existence, you're going to, you're going to have it. And just one thing, too, Jimmy, you pointed to uh, the text that pe- also people, where people get this theology from, Matthew 17, where, where Christ said, you, you know, if you speak to this mountain to be removed, it shall be removed, right? So people kind of, you know, jump to that. But also, you know, there, people are taking that verse out of context because, you know, that's, Christ wasn't saying literally, I mean, that's 
that's an idiom, right? We have idioms in, in our language here in America, right? When we say yeah. it's raining cats and dogs, we don't mean it's literally raining cats and dogs, right? <laughs> or, or we don't say, you know, when somebody goes out and plays sports, you know, go break a leg. Oh, sorry, Henry. Pastor Henry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> my, my bad. <laughs> that's a little touchy there. A little touchy there. But, but, you know, we don't mean literally break a leg, right? right. We, we're using idioms there. And that's what, that was a first century idiom, to speak to this mountain and be removed. That's what Christ means. He wasn't saying literally to go talk to these mountains. So, again, even in that text, people are mis- misapplying it out of context. I'm sorry. When you spoke those lyrics, I'm sitting here. Who, do, <laughs> who does that glorify? Right. That, and, and, and That's again, actually a worship song. People sing see, that in, in, but in that, churches. Yeah. But is it? Is it who's who are you worshiping? Oh well, yeah, point? yeah, self, yeah. self. You're worshiping self. Yeah. Exactly. This is this is one of the things. And when I came to more of a reform type of thinking, I started looking at the songs we sing, and I started seeing there's error in some of these songs. And and again, to me, that's a big one, right? We we learn from. So I've said it a million times. We learn from songs, and that type of thinking. If that was sung in a church, man, I'd be the first one to say, man, I'm out of here. <laughs> I, I got to go. I, 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 there's no room for self-glorification in the church of God. Yeah. Right. We, come to, we come together to praise and worship the one who saved us. Right. And so I'm going to get off now. Yeah. Pastor Henry, you're, you're Pastor up. Andy, you're up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I got, I got one. I, I'm going to probably step on a couple, I mean, step, step on a couple toes, but what's, what's new, right? With right, solo cast. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, uh, this one is sort of shifting gears from sort of a lust for power and a lust for power for the self. Really it's, I, I, I believe this is sort of a lust for, or, or sort of a seeking for, for, for identity. Right. And, and we have this problem culturally. So my, my verse will come. Well, my verse is uh, will come from Revelation chapter one, uh, basically verses 12 through 16. And it's uh, and it's describing Christ. And you may have seen this on I mean, on YouTube. You may have seen it on like certain forums where people are talking about the nature of Christ and what he looks like. And I, and I think that most most people do this because people want to know what Christ looked like so they can associate themselves with Christ, right? Which is the reason why we have, you know, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, white Jesus. And the reason why we <laughs> we have the black Hebrew-Israelite rendition of black Jesus with the woolly hair and, and the ephod with all the stones in it and everything. Right. Um, hey, be- so- before you get started, Pastor Henry, I just got to say, I saw a, a little meme out there about this uh, whole thing and wanting to bring down all the Jesus statues. Yeah. And so there was a little thing that said reformed, reformed guys, dot, dot. And it said, I don't know how you got there. You didn't have the right formula, but you came to the right conclusion. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, saw that. I thought it was funny, man. Yeah, Go I ahead. saw that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so everything, um, you know, that we see, you know, in terms of, you know, of course, we know that ethnically, um, earthly ethnically, Jesus was a Jewish man. But as far as the attributes of what he looked like, his skin color, etc., I think the Bible is very clear, and it does it on purpose. It didn't leave that in there. Because, I mean, all these scribes, you talk about Luke, you know, which is the master historian, you talk about Paul, which is a detailed, I mean, you know, writer, you know, nobody described Jesus and his physicalness or whatever. I mean, the closest right. we come to is in Isaiah, where it says that he had no comeliness, he right. had no physical attributes that we should even desire, right? 
So, so they take this scripture out, these scriptures out of context. So let's go to Revelation chapter 1, 12 through 16, and I'll read the whole thing first, and then we'll kind of break it out. So it says, um, this is John, of course, speaking on the island of Patmos, receiving the revelation of Christ. He says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven gold lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like, was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. So classically, in this verse, you will have tons of different ethnicities and organizations saying, look, see, Jesus was black because his hair, what other ethnicity has hair like wool, brother? (laughs) (laughs) What what other, you know, you know, uh, and then they would, they would go to his feet was, were like burnished bronze. What color is bronze, brother? (laughs) And they, and they point to Jesus being, being a black man or, or whatever. But what they don't understand is, is that, you know, in this particular context, in this particular book, this is symbolic language. Right. And it's symbolic language because what they'll do, like we've kind of gone over, is that they will cherry pick those particular verses, but they will stop there, right? So, so they were looking at Jesus' feet being literally bronze color. They're, and they're looking at Jesus' hair being literally like wool. But they will stop there because you have to ask the question, did he literally have seven stars in his hand? Right. Did, did he literally have a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth? I mean, what is, like, is, like, is Jesus just this, this, this circus performer or something? You know, like, you know, <laughs> like. juggling stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, no, you know, clearly this is symbolic language. And when it's talking about this, and I won't sort of go, up, go, and go into a full exegesis, but of course, wool, meaning, you know, you know, the texture of a lamb, right? Wolves have lamb, and it's also God told the Israelites ever since the Old Testament to pick out a lamb without spot or a blemish. Well, of course, the white wool was that lamb of the first year, right? right? Christ is our ultimate lamb that was sacrificed for our sin. He is the lamb, the the ultimate lamb without spot or blemish, right? And just specifically, this is how they get it wrong because when it's talking about Christ and his attributes, like the burnished bronze and the seven stars in his hands and his face shining like, like the sun, it is trying to depict, well, John is trying to depict as much as he can with the language as he has. He's he's very, very limited. He's talking about the radiance of Christ, right? right? Bronze, when it's, when it's dipped in the furnace and you pull it out, it's not brown. It's not bronze. It's red, hot. It is radiant. It is shining like the sun, right? That's why those guys who, who do a lot of metal, metallurgy and everything, they, they wear those masks because it's too bright for, for the human eye at some points, right? And so what John is describing here in this verse is not Christ's physical attributes as far as his ethnicity. John is describing through symbolic language the full nature of Christ and his authority, uh, he is describing his radiance because he is light. He is that Christ that was revealed on 
the Mount of Transfiguration to, to the disciples. His glory is shown even much more so than what Moses was. When Moses came down from, from the Mount, after he had talked with uh, God, he had to put a veil over his face because his face was shining. Well, Christ is even much more than that. Moses was a type of Christ, but Christ is the King of heaven and his radiance, his glory is on full display, not his ethnicity. It's, it's talking about, about the glory of his kingdom. And he's talking to his churches and telling John to write to the churches. And so we see here that in that symbolism, this is not a symbolism of picking out a, a, a particular ethnicity. And I'll go so far as to say this, is that these people that actually do this do much like people who have um, other problems with identity, they feel like, or they have convinced themselves that they are so down, downtrodden that they associate themselves with the curses of God. And so therefore they are God's people because they fulfill the curses. But God doesn't do that to us. God says that we are God's people and that we are blessed. We have been right. saved. We have been placed in the heavenlies, right? So our identifier is our triumphantness in Christ, not our cursedness in God. Right. And so when we look at, at our identity, our, our identity is not in our ethnicity, right? God gave us an ethnicity on earth, and he's going to, you know, of course, you know, do something with that as far as the kingdom of being every nation, people, and tongue. But our identity is in Christ, in his holiness, and that is what is on display in our fullness of ourselves. I like what you're saying, Pastor Henry, because it goes, I was almost going to ask you the question, but you answered it before I had to ask the question. What benefit is it? to see uh, ethnicity in these verses. What benefit is it to the reader to look at this and say, oh, here's my ethnicity. Like you want to bring Jesus down to your level. There's a reason that he has the, the second commandment in there, right? Absolutely. And this is, this, is, this is blurring that line and, and, and crossing over that second commandment. And you know what? I, I didn't always think about the second commandment the way I do today, right? The images, I for a long time had a, a painting on my wall of Jesus knocking on somebody's door, right? <laughs> why, why you're being Jesus. And, you know, here's the thing. just full of surprises. Yeah. You know, full of the, the, Jesus trick-or-treating yourself. Yeah, <laughs> let, 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 let me into your heart kind of thing, please. Open the door, you know? No, but see, this is the, this is the thing I'm talking about, the danger of, of that, because it goes deeper than just an image on a painting. It goes to this place where you're finding your identity more in the ethnicity of Jesus than in Jesus himself, right? This is why the images are, are prohibited. This is the reason is because you'll go lean more on those images. You know, honestly, this is why we don't have the originals of all the, the books of, that are in the, in the Bible, right? Because you know, if they found an original letter from Paul written in his writing, it'd be in a glass case somewhere and there would be people all around it bowing down to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is the problem with having that type of image. You start to, uh, attach ethnicity to this verse, you're bowing down to the ethnicity and not Jesus himself. That's the problem. And I'm glad that you pointed it out that way, Pastor Henry. And I think verse 17 gives way, uh, Pastor Henry, uh, that of the text in Revelation. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He fell down to worship him because of the glory, because of the radiance, Absolutely. not because of the, the appearance of ethnicity. You know, that shouldn't cause someone to bow down, although we're seeing, <laughs> although we're seeing that yeah, nowadays. Was, people, bow down. That, yeah. <laughs> people are bound down before ethnicity. But in the context of Revelations chapter one, he was bound down. John was bound down because he saw uh, the glory of Christ. You know, and th- yeah, that just speaks to the heart of the matter of where we're at even today in, in our culture. 
everybody's trying to to uh, you know glorify worship their ethnicity or to elevate it to a place where where it shouldn't be. Uh, I saw a tweet by uh, Dustin Benz this week, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase it, but it said we should be more concerned about Christ's words than his appearance. You know, Amen. so um, and I think people are today are more concerned about how he looked than than they are about what he said yeah. about his commandments, right? And about obeying what he said. And as he said in scripture, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Not if you'll love me, you'll you'll look like me. Or if you love me, you know, you 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 know, you'll you'll find your identity in my ethnicity. No, if you love me, you obey my commandments. And you know, what we're seeing today is not that. What we're seeing today is an abandonment of his commandments and people trying to find themselves in their ethnicity or in their appearance. But yeah, absolutely. And you guys are stepping on toes all over the place, man. You're always <laughs> like tripping people up right now. You know, it's funny because you say that, Pastor Chris, and I and I start to think about that that one story I read so long ago about Jesus on toast. Right, like the somebody oh, had, toasted some, somebody toasted some bread, and the image of Jesus <laughs> was on the side. They put it up somewhere, and people were coming from all parts just to visit the toast with Jesus' image on it. How crazy is that, right? Uh, and that's the thing, man. How far will you go? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I actually read one one story. It's kind of gross, but I'll, I'll I'll tell it. But it but it just goes to you know why we don't worship idols and why we don't make images that are graven in in, in Christ. Uh, there was a, again, I don't know if it's true or not, but I, but I've seen it posted many, many times. Um, but it was a story about, uh, there was like a Jesus statue, I guess, or whatever. And, uh, and the statue, uh, it, uh, began to cry and, you know, water was coming out of its eye or whatever the case may be, but it wind up turning out that this statue was attached to a pipe that was running, uh, <laughs> to the sewage <laughs> and people were drinking this water. And I'm like, it was horrible. It's terrible. Like, again, I don't know if it's true, but I'll look it up and I'll, I'll see if I can find it. But, you know, <clears throat> even if it's not true, like Jimmy said, like that goes to show the, you know, just the level of idolatry. These people were drinking this water and it was coming from a sewage pipe because there was a graven image that was actually attached to it. And, right. you know, and not just physical danger, because that's just nasty, but think about the spiritual danger that you put yourself in when you begin to worship idols, you know, right. Again, no matter what your eschatology is, whether you think the Antichrist is a is a person or it's a spirit of the age, there is a spirit of this age that is worshiping idols, no matter what they are. And all of those idols are false because they are not the true Jesus. They are a false Christ and they are trying to take the place of Christ. And so you can't allow anything to take the place of Christ in your mind and your heart because that in and of itself is an idol. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff, guys. You know, we wanted to revisit some texts and I'm sure there's some more texts. Maybe you have a text out there that you guys want to throw at us that you want us to talk about that, that you think is commonly misinterpreted. Yeah. We'd love to, we'd love to do that. I could think of a few more, but we'll be back. There's plenty of them, man. If you got any questions, any pushback, anything you want to share, go to the website, www.thesolacast.com. There you can leave us a message. You can also browse around there on the merch, merch store, uh, pick you up a nice shirt or a coffee mug. Also, you know, follow us on social media. You can follow us on Facebook. Just go to the Facebook search bar there, put in Solacast, like, the page share the page also find us on instagram at the solacast or on twitter at sola underscore cast and you guys are at i'm at los jimmy i'm at knox broadcast and i'm at c hernandez 214 but also make sure you uh find us uh, if you're in the dallas area you know come uh, visit us every sunday morning 10 30 a.m dallas texas uh we're at uh, 3232 batan street dallas texas 75212 also find out more information about the church on the website www.ecclesiachurch.org but anyway until next time let's get to the meet yes sir let's do it yeah.
Okay. I just made this beat right now. I'm MC Goya. Okay, listen. Hey, I'm on the ground like El Chapo in a tunnel, eating about 12 tacos. I'll put you in a box like a gato. Punchline stay in my mouth like Mr. Sacco. Jay thinks he runs Christian hip hop. He wears white socks when he wears his flip flops. And he looks like Shook Knight. I put him in a chokehold and say goodnight. It's not music but clothes that he started. I can find better shirts in a flea market. Okay, Google, who's the best rapper? Goya, rapping graces, full of slackers.